You're gonna take off the tie. Oh, I, last time you did that in the middle of the. Interview. That's right. No, I know. I didn't. I didn't think about it. Right here we are. It's community That's conversations. It's episode number two. I mean, we had an episode zero. I saw so your episode It's really zero. kind of episode number three. <laughs> about it. That was good. Have the you time comes have off. Have you ever caught the camera? And I have not yet. And... I have not, but there will be plenty of time for that, for sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So you know, I work for the school district. My name is Tim Gorey. Community conversations, and uh, I take the tie off to just signify it's after work, and the opinions that are expressed here are my own and not the opinions of the Fairfield Susan Unified School District. Right. Troy, you are with us today. And you may want to do that same disclaimer. It's up to you. The same disclaimer of uh, <laughs> I do not represent my employer at this point, and these are all my own personal opinion disclaimer? That, that would be the one. All right. I, I'll subscribe to that. I'll throw okay. that out there. All right. John Harris last week didn't do that. He was like, no, I'm good. I was like, nice. He went for it. <laughs> he did. Of course, he's a pastor of a church. I think he has a little bit more leeway. <laughs> Than maybe the government employees that we are. Yeah, sometimes we, um, those lines sometimes are uh, a little bit more crisp than than our personal lives are, where representing an organization sometimes gets a little sticky and um, expressing opinions sometimes can have some concern. Yeah. But, well, I mean, we all have them. We all got opinions. Hopefully... Uh, we're comfortable enough to express them and to share them and discuss them so that we can figure out those areas where we can learn from each other and we don't have to be afraid to, to disagree. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we don't like each other when we disagree. It doesn't mean that I think the person I disagree with is dumb or doesn't have any um, anything to offer. And I think it's almost the opposite of that. And when you get into a conversation or a discussion with someone where you can disagree with them um, and Maybe they can show you and teach you a couple of things and vice versa. That's, I think that's why we uh, get involved and engage in these conversations. So Absolutely. And that's, that's what this show is really all about. I mean, okay. the idea is to bring people in uh, who are uh, leaders in our community um, and give people an opportunity to get to know them a little bit. And, uh, and from the lens of just a conversation that we have, and there may be some times that we may disagree on some things, and hopefully what we can do in this show is kind of model what it looks like to disagree and be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, we'll see. And, and, we'll yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. Well, the good news is um, for you, I, is because of your um, job classification and what you do uh, for our city, is any, any disagreement, if there's, if there's a winning and losing part of it, you're probably going to win against me. <laughs> So, oh, well, I don't know. That's my guess. I mean, I'm open to it. We'll I don't see. know. Are you, are you really? Yeah, we'll see how oh, it goes. That's, that's nice. I'm, I'm open to the idea that I, I really don't want um, a Fairfield police officer on my bad side too much. So <laughs> I don't think you have much to worry about. Too. Okay, good. From what good. I know of you, uh, you don't have much to worry about. Good. No, we'll, be in, we'll, be in, <laughs> we'll be in good shape, I think. And, you know, the first time we met, um, I have to tell the story because uh, it, it sticks into my mind every time I see you, which you may not <laughs> want to hear. But Uh-oh. I don't know <laughs> if this is working out so well. Yeah, we made it work, right? <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. No, the first time you met, I, I was wondering, like probably a lot of people wonder about my name as well. How do you say that name, right? And, you know, it's spelled O-V-I-A-T-T, mm-hmm. right? And I thought O-V-Y-A-T. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. I think a lot of people think that. Yep. 
But but you introduced yourself to me and you said, "Hi, it's Troy Oviet, like uh, Soviet without the S." That's right. That's <laughs> right? what I learned. Yeah. And now, from now on, like now, every time I look at that name uh, on when I'm texting you or sending you a message, I go, "Oviet, like Soviet yeah. without the S." <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem with getting you know those, those sayings in people's heads. Is that that's what they remember. Yeah, um, it's easy uh, to explain it that way. Um, but when I was a kid, I was made fun of that way as well. They always called me Soviet Oviet, um, oh, yeah. and you know giggled and poked fun at it. Um, nowadays, I am. It's a, something that I use so that people can pronounce my name correctly because it is a unique name that some people struggle with. Uh, but it's also great to have a name like that, where yeah. I know who the who the um, the callers are who give me a phone call and can't pronounce my name correctly and ask for <laughs> right. the wrong person. Right. <laughs> that person doesn't live here. They don't know me. That person's no wrong phone number. Sorry, I don't know who you are. <laughs> so there are some good things with having a an unusual yeah. last name. I agree uh, as with well. that. I'm I'm in the same boat. I, I got teased plenty for my last name as well, and. Uh, um, you know, and people want to think that it doesn't sound like gory, <laughs> but that's well, exactly what, what it sounds like. What, what are the common people always say gore? They think it's even though it's got two e's on the end, they they always want to gravitate towards gore. Um, Is gore better than gory? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, well, gory it sounds like g o r e y, sure, which is gross, nasty, you know, horrible. Well, so is gore. I guess it is. I hadn't really even thought about that. Actually, I've thought, selfish me, I've always thought my name is the worst thing in the world. But, <laughs> but I, I hadn't really thought about that. Gore, yeah, gore is just the, um, that, that's the, the noun version of it, right? And gory so. would be kind of right. like the adjective I think that's version correct. of the same thing. I hadn't even thought about that. So I don't know which one's worse. I, I really don't know either. But that's nice of them to try to... Or and Yeah, and then I, I had a relative once who shall rename, name, remain nameless who, um, who, was, who got the name by marriage for her. <laughs> um, and, and it's not my wife, so, you know, if anybody thought it was my wife, no, it's not my wife. Um, but it was a relative who got the name through marriage and uh, tried very hard to put an accent on the end and call it Gore. Oh, Gore. Yeah, which, you know, sounds very kind of French. Ooh, that know? does sound sounds a nice, right? Mysterical. It does. Hmm. So, but the reality is... Gora? It was, well, originally, my understanding, I've got some family who like to trace the roots all the way back. Okay. And my understanding is there's a gentleman who came to the Americas from France back in the late 1600s and his name was spelled G-U-R-E with the accent and it was Gouré. Gouré? Yeah. Hey, hey Gouré. Gouré. Hey. Uh-huh. Exactly. Wow. You got it. And, uh, right. and then ultimately the family eventually moved to, um, uh, to a location in the middle of the United States called Oklahoma. Heard of you might have Oklahoma. heard of it. And during the Oklahoma time, it became okiized, as we would All say. Right. And it became gory. All right. Just gory. Just gory. You call me gory. Just gory. Is that how they talk you in Oklahoma? Gory? Yeah, 
Kind of. I don't know why we automatically. I don't, I don't know either, but you know, I I feel like I'm a little bit from Oklahoma because, um, you know, I'm from originally from Bakersfield, California, which mm, I oil oh I lovely uh, I, I I lovingly call that area Oklahoma, California. Okay. Because it's very much all right like that. Well, you know, have you ever heard of the um, the Grapes of Wrath? I have. Right. Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl era. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all about these people, the farmers in, in the Oklahoma area, who had a terrible time with, with drought um, during the, I think, 1920s. Um, I think so. And a bunch of them migrated to the southern San Joaquin Valley in California to start a new life. And that's the whole Grapes of Wrath story. And my grandparents were the, was that. They were farmers from Oklahoma that came over in the Dust Bowl. I thought Bakersfield had oil. Isn't that where all the oil it does. refineries yep. and oil Huge oil production. area. In fact, the the northern part of Bakersfield that I'm from is is called Oildale. 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 You got it. Glory is from Oildale. From Oildale. And my dad used to oh. work for oil companies um, before he changed careers and became a state farm insurance agent. So... Um, yeah, so the Oildale, that northern Bakersfield, has one of the largest, uh, probably the largest oil field um, with the with the pumps. Yeah, the horse pumps um, in the west of Texas. Huh? Well, dri- driving through, I've seen some of those oil fields. I didn't realize it was that large. I didn't Huge. realize those were some of the largest. Yeah. Huh? But you know, agriculture and farming is right there too. Well, a lot, lots of farming. Agriculture all around Bakersfield is those are the two big big money makers for that area. So how'd you get from Bakersfield up here to Fairfield? Oh, I I was working for a school district in Bakersfield. Had worked for three different school districts in that area, and um, I all the school districts in Bakersfield are um, there's no unified school district that's kindergarten through twelfth grade. So in Bakersfield, okay. there's a bunch of kindergarten through eighth grade districts that all feed into one big high school, high school district. district. So there's no oh. unified district. So I was working, I started my career in schools working for the big high school district, the current high school district, okay. um, as a computer tech. And then, um, and then I ended up becoming a director and then was the director of technology for a kinder, smaller kindergarten through eighth grade school district. And I didn't really have anywhere to go uh, from a next step standpoint. I wanted to become a director of technology of a larger district, have more responsibility. And um, in order to do that, I really needed to leave the area and go to a unified district. And so I I applied and got the job for Fairfield Susun Unified eight years ago. And that we moved up here for that for that job. Oh, nice. Yeah. What about you? Like, what did you start with the Fairfield Police Department? So I started in 2001. So I've been here for almost oh. 17 years. Yeah. Oh, no, that almost 18 years. Almost 18 years. Yeah, because I came in 2011. Oh, wow. And it's been almost eight years. So. Yeah, so started back then. I've only worked at the Fairfield Police Department. I haven't worked for any other police oh. department. So unlike you, that's got your start in another area and then came here. Um I, right out of college, I came to Fairfield Police Department. Where'd you grow up? 
Interesting question. I moved around a little bit. I was born in Kansas, right next to Oklahoma, so I am familiar about where Oklahoma is. I jumped over and moved to Texas. I shouldn't say I did. My family did when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Settled in the Austin area. Lived there until elementary, late elementary school, so fifth-ish grade. Moved out to Southern California. Um, and then settled down there until it was time to go to college and came up to Northern California for college. Went to, um, well, I did two years of junior college down in San Diego area. Okay. Uh, Palomar College. Uh-huh. Fantastic uh, college down there. Uh, played soccer down there, but I also grew up in that area. So when I did my two years at junior college, I was itching to get out. Um, didn't really know where I wanted to end up, so I applied to a couple of different colleges. Uh, landed at Sonoma State. Went to Sonoma State for a couple of years. Okay. Another Good place. Another great place to go to school. Yeah. Pretty small, pretty small uh, state university. The time I was there, there was about 7,000-ish students there. Okay. Um, so pretty small, pretty, pretty close-knit community. Um, went there for two years. Great teacher college, by the way. So for those of you who are interested in becoming teachers... Yeah, really well known for a great, great uh, teacher, um, uh, like early childhood education and uh, teacher credential programming. So for those of you interested in becoming a teacher, some teachers are fantastic. We need more of them. I encourage everybody who's who has an interest to follow that through. I have a tremendous amount of respect for teachers, nurses, um, firefighters, police officers, you know, those that are they. They're every day they help the community improve a little bit. Um, and teachers are, oh, bless all of their hearts. Um, everybody involved in education, you guys don't get enough praise for what you do and the importance of that profession. So, Well, I feel the same way, but I think if anybody watches this recording and, um, and they catch the fact that you mentioned firefighters in that group. <laughs> so my best you might get a little flack for that. My, I, well, my best but but you did say it's your opinions, not the opinions of your employer. So <laughs> I think it's the opinion of my employer as well. <laughs> firefighters are pretty awesome. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, I know uh, there's a rivalry, but it's a friendly. It's a great rivalry. It's a, it's a great um, and, 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 and fun rivalry. Yeah, it's, we like to play off of it. It's amazing. And it all, what they go through is it's pretty interesting, too. The, the image that they see, the public image of what you think of firefighters, um, and then in reality of what they go through in their job and what they're exposed to sometimes is drastically different. Mm. Um, and like I mentioned, my best friend's a firefighter, so we dig on each other all of the time. He makes fun of me for being a cop. I make fun of him for being a, a firefighter. Um, but our stories are pretty similar. Hmm. Um, you know, what, why we got into the job, what we see in our job, um, what we take home to our families after our job. Hmm. It's all pretty, pretty similar. Um, but I think it's also the same or similar reasons why people get into teaching or why people get into right. nursing. Uh, I think that mission's kind of a approaches, calling yeah. in that sense, right? So go, I interrupted you with the Sonoma State thing. Oh, no I, uh, where, where did, so you, you finished there your bachelor's degree? I did. And so in what? Got a bachelor's in psychology and a bachelor's in criminal justice administration. Okay. So you had an inkling that you might want to go into law enforcement? I did. At that time? Yeah. My interest started in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, it was in the 90s, um, mm-hmm. we had cops on campus, but they weren't 
school resource officers. They didn't have that label yet. They were the cops that went to the, went to the schools and interacted with the kids and got to know who was who and who was involved in what um, to help um, provide a service to the community, which is pretty similar to what they do today, uh, but it just wasn't as developed as it is today. Mm. Um, had a couple of good conversations with him, um, asked him about his job, what he liked about it. For a high school kid, it was drive a fast car, carry a gun, take bad people to jail, help people out. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. If I got to do something and go to work every day, that might as well be something that I, I, could, I should do. Mm-hmm. So started exploring that a little bit, <clears throat> went to college, got a, a degree in criminal justice. But when I graduated, I was too young to get hired. Mm-hmm. Um, not only too young age-wise, also a little too immature. Hmm. Um, didn't have the life experience that police officers should have. Um, I went straight from living at home to going to college. Um, I, I was lucky enough to find some pretty decent jobs that uh, allowed me to <clears throat> work summer times and when school was not in session and didn't really introduce me to some of the experiences that police officers should have of living on their own, um, having some challenges in life, learning from those challenges to apply to, you know, just to maturing. Um, so when it was came time to graduate from Sonoma State, I realized that it wasn't time to enter the workforce as a police officer, so I went and got more education. And then I went over to Sac State. Um, okay. c- comparing Sac State to Sonoma State, two drastically different schools. Sac State is a large state yeah. university. Um, I think when I was there, there were uh, probably 20,000 students. Wow. Um, yeah, it's bigger than that now, I'm sure. Which was a lot larger than Sonoma. I think both of those schools have grown tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, graduated in 2001 from Sac State. Um, got a master's degree in criminal justice. And then applied in Fairfield. So did you, did you have somebody that kind of told you or suggested to you that maybe you needed some of that extra experience before you were ready to be, or did you, did you, did you just kind of figure that out yourself? I think I felt it. Um, uh, looking back, I don't know if anybody really told me. We don't have, I have one cousin who's a police officer in the family. I don't come from a family of police officers. Okay. Uh, so I didn't have that insight of, ah, Troy, you need to focus on this or that. But I, I felt that I wasn't, it wasn't an appropriate time to get into uh, the, the profession. That's interesting because I, I, it, it seems unusual to hear that somebody that age would kind of look at themselves and go, hmm, I don't think I'm quite ready for that yet. I need something. I mean, it, it just... I don't know. It just seems unusual to me that somebody would kind of have that when you sort put it of that internal way, thought. I don't know if that was my <laughs> internal dialogue. I think it, more of the internal dialogue was, I'm not ready to settle into a profession where I have oh, to be okay. a responsible adult. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it was more that. That way. sounds a lot more <laughs> unusual. <laughs> yeah, and it just looking back on it from my lens now, right? I think it was the, oh, I just wasn't mature enough. I didn't have the life experience yet. But I think the past <laughs> Troy was more of, I don't want a real job yet. I want to yeah. yeah. do what 20-year-olds typically do. 
Um, and it worked out. I mean, I got a fantastic job at a wonderful organization, worked with great people, um, tremendous opportunity um, for an, an, a very rewarding career doing a bunch of different things, working for the same organization. So did, how out. did the connection happen between um, finishing at Sac State? I may have missed this. So finishing at Sac State and coming to Fairfield. I mean, it's close, but... Yeah, there was... Um, when I was at Sac State, the chair for my thesis was involved in negotiating the contract with Fairfield. Or somehow was involved with the law firm that helped with the contract negotiations. And he mentioned um, Fairfield as a, a nice option, hmm. as an option of... Um, a good size agency that was hiring police officers that had a lot of opportunity and he thought it might be a, a good fit or something to, to look into to see if it would be an interesting career path. Cool. Looked into it, um, went on a couple of ride-alongs, had a couple of conversations with people and realized it probably would be a good fit and rolled the dice and turned out it was a, was a pretty good fit. Wow. And here I am. Yeah. I'm stuck here with you. I know. <laughs> What? 18, almost 18, 18 years, years later. later. Yeah, who would have yeah. thought? Wow, that's that's interesting. Our career paths are interesting. I love talking yeah. to people about how did you end up here? Um, and I think sometimes the message that we send to people, um, young people, is that you need to plan now. You need to do X, Y, and Z if you want to get to this end. And some of the most interesting people I know still have not figured it out, still have not developed a well-laid-out roadmap of where they want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some value in being open to changes and being flexible and going, oh, I'll try this out for a little bit. I'll try that out for a little bit. I'll mm -hmm. see. Maybe I fit. Maybe I don't fit. Yeah. Um, and I think with this next generation that's coming up, we're moving away from the previous generations of being dedicated to mm -hmm. one job for a really something long for time 20 or 30 or years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now you see the couple years here, a couple years there. I had a conversation over Thanksgiving with someone who explained to me that he's had his current job for three years now, and that's the longest job he has ever had, and he's early 40s. And he has wow. not had a job longer than three years. He's in the tech industry. Um, yeah, okay. And he goes, yeah, that's just how it is. We jump around, and we don't work for the same company for a long period of time. And it's almost like, it yeah, you almost kind of consider yourself, in a sense, more of an independent contractor than you know these days. I think than a lot than people ever did before. And my, it was funny um, on Friday, um, the day after Thanksgiving, we had an 80th birthday party for my dad. Oh, fantastic! And it was pretty cool, and. Uh, um, it was really good. We we went to uh, uh, we were in Bakersfield and and we went to a place called Hodel's, which is a local place. It's a buffet, all you can eat buffet. And okay. and I had you know I had my um, my rehearsal dinner there when I was for my wedding, and you know it's just one of those places. It's a local spot. Kind of local spot. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great place and country cooking, fried fried chicken and. Mm. Stuff like that, really good, good place. And so we had it there. We yeah, and they have these big like uh, you know banquet rooms that you can rent the whole room, and and that's where we did it. And one of the things that he told us was, um, I, I have two older brothers, and they're ten and thirteen years older than me. So I'm, there, oh. there's quite a separation. Yeah. There. 
Um, but, but he told us, you know, we asked him, what do you want for your 80th birthday? You know, we're going to do this party and everything. What you, is there any requests that you have? And he said, yeah, what I want is I want all three of you guys to speak. I want all three of my sons to speak. And I want you to talk, um, you know, as if it was my memorial service. And we were like, oh, like a eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> a, life, a life eulogy. A little, be a yeah. Eulogy, little, and we were all kind of like, ooh, that's kind of uncomfortable. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then he goes, no, 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 listen. No, he goes, I've been to a number, you know, he goes, I'm 80 years old. I've been to a lot, a lot of, you know, memorial services and funerals. Mm-hmm. And he says, People say the nicest things about these people, and they're dead. They don't get to hear it. Hear them. (laughs) She's like, I'm still alive. I want to hear it. You know, I want to hear the nice things you have to say about me. You know, and and we were like, all right. So, so we prepared it. You know, we we kind of planned it all ahead of time. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about this part of his life, and you know, I'm going to talk. Okay, so we kind of planned it out ahead of time, and um, it worked out really good. And but one of the things that he had a share, had my one of my brothers share, um, was his work history. And okay. he, he apparently, like, for his time and his age, he was a freak. He didn't stay anywhere longer than two years until he was oh. 46 years old. Okay. Um, so he's one of these people that just don't have a well... And he never left a job. You know, made a point of saying he never left a job without having another better job to go to, like yep. more higher pay That's or... Smart whatever so it wasn't like he was like oh i quit you know and it wasn't and and he always had a family and he was always taking care of the family and everything so it wasn't like he was you know irresponsible in any way it was just he was almost almost kind of had this restless sort of feel to him was always kind of looking to that next thing you know um and then interestingly enough he he got an estate farm a friend of his who's a state farm insurance agent talked him into to try and state farm at 46 okay. years old and that's where he, he ended up retiring as state farm agent 21 22 years later okay. so he found his spot yeah exactly but i thought that was kind of interesting you know I, that now that's becoming more of the norm whereas you know he he asked to sort of mention it it was funny there's a story about how um when he did decide he was going to go do the state farm thing um, his mother, he told his mother, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do this, and this is my grandma, and and uh, and she said, well, Jerry, do you think you might actually stick with this one? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what do you, I don't know what, what you're talking about. Like, what, what <laughs> you've never things? stayed with the same job for more than two or three years, and he was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like it, it was almost like he hadn't really realized, you know, that, but. But I think that's so common now. I think people do think of themselves as more, a lot of the younger generation, especially in the tech industry, think of themselves more as an independent contractor who is gaining experience working on projects. And when they get done with the project or they're kind of rolling a project up or they feel like they've sort of done a year, two years, three years worth of work and they've done what they could do in that position, they look to move into something else. Somewhere else. And it's interesting. It's interesting. It, well, yeah. I think it, it creates ultimately that openness can can create a more well-rounded individual. I think in a number of different ways. Yeah. Um, I've always been pretty restless. 
Um, I get I get to about five years. When I'm in five years in the same position, I start kind of going, okay, what's next? What can we do now? And well, I think, and that's the advantage of, I, I don't necessarily know too much of what it's like at the Fairfield CC Unified School District, but I can speak to what it's like at my organization where having, working for an agency or an organization or a business or a company or a nonprofit where you can get that restlessness yet still stay mm-hmm. in the same organization um, has proven to me at least to be a tremendous benefit. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen some people who have worked for agencies where they just can't do too many different assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily at, and at Fairfield Police Department, we can do, there, there are a bunch of different assignments that any officer can do. That's a good segue, because that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, actually, Uh-oh. because I don't think a lot of people, and I, I don't know that I totally fully understand either, but, but I've learned a few things in, um, in working with you and working with um, some of the other police officers and some of the fire, fire um, department folks, too, um, that there's some similarities there. Um, I was in the military for, for four years in the Air Force. So for me, when I look at like rank and stuff, like your rank and your job is very well is is very much kind of set, and then you have ways to rank up, mm-hmm. right? But then in the military, you've got, you know, in in Air Force, you have airmen, and then you have um, as ranks, you know, senior airmen, airmen, airmen basic, then airmen first class, senior airmen, then you get into sergeant. Those and and the sergeant ranks are all. Um, enlisted, right? Okay. And and typically the people who are enlisted typically don't have college degrees. And then then you have the officer ranks, which are, starts with lieutenant and it goes to captain and major and lieutenant colonel and colonel and general. Those are all ranks that are that are um, uh, they're com- what we call commissioned in the military. And okay. the commissioned ranks are tip. You have to have had a college degree in order to be commissioned. So those are typically like the managers. They're the they're the leaders. Um, although your sergeants are also managers. They manage airmen, and they often have a lot of leadership responsibility. Um, but they report to the officers. Okay. So. So two aspects that I'm interested in you kind of explaining a little bit more in depth. Number one, rank in 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 the police officers' corps, like because I know you're a sergeant, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's there is lieutenants and there's captains and uh, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And I kind of understand like where they are, but clearly you have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, so there's no sort of delineation necessarily between sergeant and whether you have a degree or not necessarily. And then, um, in in fact, maybe a lot of police officers have degrees or maybe do they all have to have degrees? That's another thing to kind of, so kind of, if you'll break down sort of how rank works. And then the other thing that's kind of fascinating to me is for the most part, you're all police officers. They're like, you're all police officers, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, but it seems like you guys take on completely different roles. Like I know like Greg is, is has the role of public information officer mm-hmm. for, for the department, which has its own like nuances and things that he has to know and be trained on and learn to be able to do well. 
and then you your role is is over the school resource officers and you're like a liaison to the school district and and you work with Powell. And so I want to I kind of like break down not only your role but also like how does that work? How do people get those kinds of assignments within the police department? Okay. So I, I've just given you tons of things to talk I'll about. I'll try to answer all of those. <laughs> all in but one I, think, I don't think people understand response. how this works necessarily. It's a challenge. So um, our rank structure is similar to the military. We're a paramilitary organization. So we do have a rank structure. Um, the entry level, whether it's a police department or a sheriff's department, um, is either deputy sheriff or police officer. Okay. Those are the patrol guys that you see out driving around police cars. Um, responding to calls for service. Which some might be call a beat cop. Or, beat cop. Right? Yep. yep. That's exactly what they are. Um, I've watched some police shows. Which ones? <laughs> Which ones call them beat cops? I don't know. What? I don't know. Um, I don't know. All, all I don't know. I, I hate to... I, I've watched enough of them that I, I, I'm not sure which ones are. Are there any I'll tell you what my now? favorite show is right now. What is it? My favorite cop show is Blue Bloods. You ever watch Blue Bloods? Not one episode. Really? I love Cleveland. with a mustache man, right? Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck, yeah. Tom Selleck, right? Yeah, and he's the yeah. commissioner? No, never. I haven't watched one of those episodes. And then everybody in his family is a police officer except for his daughter who's a, who's a DA. That's uh, not too that, And that's pretty East Coast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, like I don't want to give you off the... It, but I'm glad you kind of... I'm kind of glad you haven't watched it because I was afraid you were going to come in and be like... That show sucks. Like it's yeah. that, <laughs> well, maybe it does. So at know. least I could keep. Oh, it may, but yeah. I mean, as far as like being realistic, but I'm I sure kind of everything you see on TV is <laughs> I'm sure very just realistic. Ex- just exactly just like you believe it really that, happens. and that, I'm sure that's exactly how I'm, the I'm New keeping York I'm keeping the image alive right now. Yeah. So you aren't. At least you aren't here to bust that up for me. No, nope, no. Nope. Okay. Well, we. I'm sure we have a couple of Tom Selleck's that work at the Fairfield Police Department. Oh yeah. And sure, his name's Randy Finn, kids right? Kids and yeah, I don't know if Randy Finn can grow a mustache like that, though. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I see that. I see That's him. true. He's pretty, he's pretty clean, clean yeah. shaven. He's got, got we'll but call it, we'll call it, good boy, he's got boyish good looks. We will say that. I don't. <laughs> I didn't say that. He's a fantastic <laughs> chief. He's a wonderful man. Good. He leads the organization but, well. But, but I'm speaking for myself, man, right? <laughs> Your personal opinions? Sure. Fair enough. So we do have uh, <laughs> police officers beat cops. Um, okay. No, it's not related to an education. You can have a police officer who has... When I got hired, there was not an education requirement. Okay. Well, there was. You had to have a high school diploma. Oh, okay. Um, but a college degree does not dictate where you enter into that rank structure. Hmm. Okay. So everyone enters as a police officer. Okay. Unlike the military where you can get an education and then go in as an officer, mm-hmm. um, everyone in law enforcement enters as a cop, a beat cop, okay. a deputy sheriff. That's the entry-level position. Then you, some agencies have corporals. Um, they're also called training officers, field training officers. That's the next step up. Um, where you're responsible for training a new police officer that's coming in. After that is a sergeant. That's the first level supervisor. Uh, That's where I am. Um, You need to have a bachelor's degree. At the Fairfield Police Department, you need to have a bachelor's degree to become a sergeant. Okay. Um, Or maybe it's 60 units. 
How many units does it take to get a bachelor's degree now? Do you know? 120 semester units. Oh. So 60 would be um, would be um, associate's, associate's degree. degree. So I'm not completely sure if you need an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree to become a sergeant. Oh, okay. But you do need to have. But that could be different depending on the city department or maybe. Correct. Yeah. So that does have different set based on the local area and the organization itself. Correct. Interesting. Okay. And then above that, that's when you get into the manager staff. Lieutenants become managers. We've got lieutenants at the at the Fairfield Police Department. We have captains at the Fairfield Police Department, and then a chief. So that's our rank structure. How many captains are there? Two, three. Two. There are two, two captains. There are yeah. two. Okay. So chief. Two captains, some lieutenants. Seven lieutenants. Seven lieutenants. And then, um, gosh, do you know how many sergeants? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Fourteen? About fourteen-ish? Something like that? Somewhere around there. Okay. Maybe a couple more, maybe a couple less. Okay. Um, And each sergeant supervises a team or a group of officers. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the part where it gets interesting in the career field where... Like you mentioned before, I supervise our youth services division, or our youth services unit. So that encompasses our diversion officer, our five school resource officers, and our police activities league. Um, But then also there's a sergeant that runs our traffic division. There's a sergeant that runs our street crimes and our narcotics division. There are two sergeants that run our major crimes investigations division. Uh, All of our different assignments um, have a sergeant that runs that group. And then there are uh, other responsibilities um, on top of all of those designated group assignments within the police department. So somebody has to run our canine program. Somebody has to run our firearms program. Somebody runs our SWAT program. Somebody runs our crisis negotiations team. And all of these other extra ancillary duties that officers can do, sergeants and lieutenants also manage those groups. So although, so for, for example, I run our youth services unit, but I also manage our firearms program. So that, and that, that responsibility will follow me to the different assignments that I have within the police department. So when I supervised hmm. a patrol shift, I was also the firearms um, instructor. Okay. And then when I go to youth services, that'll follow me, and that will follow me around until either the department decides that someone else should run it or I have request to leave that assignment. So is that... Um I mean, how often does that happen where, where those kind of like major changes in, in assignment happen? Um, is that something that happens that often or not really in the answer assignments? Not as, as frequently, but for sergeants, um, we shift our responsibilities every handful of years. It can be Hmm. two years to five ish years. Um, we will change for officers. Um, it can Well, it's probably about the same. Uh, So as an officer, you can be a patrol officer, or you can be a major crimes detective, or you can be uh, on a motorcycle, or you can go into gangs and narcotics. Um, So detective is not in any way a rank. It's a a job assignment. In our agency, it is not. In many agencies, that is a promotion to go into investigations. Um, but it, also the philosophy of our department is you go into that assignment for a handful of years, then you come back out onto patrol to share that information, to grow from that experience in investigations. 
where some other agencies where you go into investigations, you can stay there for the rest of your career. You can mm-hmm. be a detective for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unheard of at the Fairfield Police Department. We, we just don't have that anymore. Uh, in the past we did. Maybe we'll go back to that in the future. But right now, um, a five-year stint as a major crimes detective is a long stint. Well, I say it seems like there would be the benefit to that would be that you, again, the well-rounded thing where you get a lot of people who have um, a lot of experience in, in different roles. And as people, you know, sort of rise through the ranks, you have people who really understand how all of it works, at least to a certain degree, you know, rather than being kind of pigeonholed into one one aspect of it too much. But then, of course, the an interesting perspective. So the flip side would be then that it seems like that that nobody nobody gets to be a super super expert either. Jack of all (laughs) trades, master of none. That's sometimes that we run into that issue, Hmm. Uh, especially in some assignments like major crimes detective, Mm -hmm. homicide detective. Right. Um, It seems that just when you start hitting your flow, you start understanding how cases roll out typically mm-hmm. um, is the time that you start transitioning to a different assignment. Um, huh. Some other assignments, it's, it's not as impactful um, where you can come in for a, a couple of years and then leave and it doesn't really change much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all the, the philosophies of what you think is best for the community is, is um, different in each uh, organization. But for ours, do a couple of years, go to something different. Interesting. I, I enjoy the, the approach of doing it for a couple of years. Um, I like the idea of... That's going back to like what you were talking about before, is if you're one of those people like me who gets a little bored yep. after a while, it's good to know that you can stay with the same organization and do something different. Try Car- something Career different. ADHD <laughs> right, is what exactly. I call it. You know, you do something for a little while, then oh, I'm kind of bored. I want to go do something else. Maybe you'll go back. Maybe you won't. Yeah, that's... I tend to lean a little bit closer to that than the guy who wants to go push a patrol car for 25, 30 years mm-hmm. um, or go be a detective for 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people that find their niche. I've worked with some people that that absolutely has happened and their niche is in special assignments um, or a specific special assignment. Um, but I think that's the exception, not the norm mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Interesting. Yeah. So you, but it seemed like you mentioned that when you were doing your college stuff that you had some sense that there were things that you were studying for that you were interested that were really specific to, um, to working with, with students. Was that, I mean, well, I guess I, you, you talked to somebody who was, who was sort of like a school resource officer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, have you not done this role up until just a couple of years ago or a year when, when Jeff? So I'm kind of re, a retread. Okay, you've done it I've before. done a couple of retreadings. Okay. Um, so as an officer, I was a school resource officer at Vanden High, um, a school district right next to Fairfield. Oh, right. Yeah. Unified school district. Um, so I was at Vanden High as a school resource officer for a few years. Um, and now I'm retreading back into youth services as a sergeant. Um, I did the same thing for investigations. I was a major crimes detective for a handful of years. And then I retreaded and I supervised the investigations unit for a, a few years 
um, as a sergeant. Okay. So there are a couple of paths that I keep revisiting. Um, <clears throat> I would say one, well, the two best assignments that I've ever had in my career were um, being involved in youth services as a school resource officer and being involved in investigations as a sex crimes child abuse detective. Um, those were two phenomenal um, assignments that were tremendously rewarding um, that had great payoff, not only for me personally, um, but the impact that it has on the community and the ability to give back and to get into the, the philosophies of um, why I became a police officer is exactly that. Um, I enjoy knowing that each day I come to work and I put in my day's work, um, the community is a little bit better for the efforts that I put forth. Um, and that's, that's the motivation for me. And I see that impact as, well, I guess patrol officers do the same thing. They probably interact more with the community than any investigator or school resource officer does. Um, oh man, now I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm thrown. <laughs> so maybe, maybe a patrol officer has more interaction with the community. Um, mm-hmm. But for for the for the relationship building and the, the molding and the developing and the influence um, as a school resource officer um, was pretty was pretty awesome. Um, ten years after I was a school resource officer, I ran into a couple of um, past students of mine who were interested in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I actually work with a few cops who oh. were students. Oh, and these guys got me good. <laughs> these guys got me good. The most recent one, I was sitting in the break room at the police department eating my lunch, and an op- one of the newer officers comes in and sits down, and we start having some casual conversation. And finally, he turns to me and he goes, "You don't remember me, do you?" Which is always a bad start to You're a conversation. Like, oh shoot! <laughs> and then the conversation, you know, developed into I was his school resource officer. Oh wow! And. Yeah, it was, oh, wow, like a brick to the face of um, a student who was at Vannon High School when I was a school resource officer is now old enough to be a police officer, and I work alongside him, Mm -hmm. is a a stiff, stiff dose of reality that I wasn't prepared for. Um, But now I work with a a few of them, a handful of them. Uh, There are probably three or four officers now who were students at Vannon. But... And it's not just, you know, those that become police officers, but those who go into the military, those who own restaurants, those who are successful businessmen in the community, um, you know, nurses at North Bay who were students when I was at at Vanden. Um, It's great to see that impact, to revisit and go, hey, I remember you as a teenage student and, oh, I remember you as a much younger police officer. Um, And to see what their what their life has become and how they got there and and what their their influences were um i find it be really interesting yeah i do too it's cool i think that's pretty pretty awesome i think it's a fascinating probably the most fascinating part of working with students especially high school students it's because you kind of get to see them in that place have an impact and then and then Often you see them afterwards. The people who teach, I mean, they... Oh, I couldn't <laughs> that. 
walk into a mall or the grocery store. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's funny. I'll tell you the story. I, I, um, I, I've had n- numerous types of situations like what you're talking about, where both where I was the person joining and and uh, starting to work with a teacher or somebody who worked with me in the past as a high school student, and then the reverse doing where where I welcomed people who I worked with when they were students and then they became peers as well. So I've seen it from both sides too. And it's always really mm-hmm. interesting when I, I started working at the Kern high school district, I, I was working part-time as a computer technician at a time when they were just starting to do those sorts of things um, at high schools and they were a large high school. So there was a lot of things going on. So they, that was kind of where it really began having tech people out of the schools doing stuff. And I worked at the high school I went to for a while, um, which was interesting. So here I'm, how long after graduating from high school were you then working at that high school? Um, it would have been five years. Oh, okay. So, mostly so I was, the same I was four people. years in the military and then I came back and got this job. So five, six years okay. after I'd graduated and I came back and I remember, um, uh, you know, seeing all of these teachers and everything, having a really hard time t- calling them by their first name, <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, Mr. Wilson, how's it going? They're like, you know, you could call me Greg. It's like, no, nope, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's awkward. But so that I struggled with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I can but, see that. Um, but it was interesting, you know, and, and it was a really good experience and, and to kind of get to know that other side of them, you know, beyond their their teacher and mentor side and then um and then i i i worked with this one guy who was one of my favorite teachers in high school and i think it was probably his first year teaching when i when i was his student okay so he was very young the social studies teacher really good history teacher got got you really interested in in history and not from the facts perspective, but more from the perspective of what can we learn from what they did and, and like avoid that in the future type stuff. Yeah. Really, really good. And I ended up working with him on a project called Virtual Enterprise, um, which which is a two-hour high school simulation class where kids get to simulate um, being in a business. Okay. And so um, we... Um, we were we were on uh, this project working working in, uh, in 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 really developing this program called Virtual Enterprise um, for the whole state of California, and it was it was coming out of the current high school district in Bakersfield, but it was we oh, were wow. expanding it to be this thing that that hundreds of high schools would end up actually um, being involved in and running this class, and it was all in network, so they would work together. Um, to a certain degree to kind of create a, a, a virtual economy okay. where the virtual companies that each class would create on the web would then would then interact with each other and they'd actually buy and sell virtual goods from each other. Oh, wow. It was really kind of this interesting hmm. thing. And I was part of the team that created that for California and I, would, I developed the websites. Um, a virtual banking system so people could get paid and money could exchange, virtual money could exchange and all this stuff. And then each of the classes would create their own websites that would sell their products and all that. It was really interesting. And Jay Iliadis, uh, who was my history teacher, was the coordinator of the program. And I was okay. the technical person assigned to the program. 
And we worked very, very closely together and became really, really good friends. And he was my former teacher. Um, and, and at one point, we went to New York uh, for a week and took 40 students uh, to New York for um, because New York had the virtual enterprise program, a version of it, before California did. So okay. we took some students to New York City to see how they do virtual enterprise, and they did like a conference um, where we're all, you know, we took like like eight teams of four kids from eight different schools to there for a week and, and have this interaction with their schools and, and they set up booths and each school was acting like a company <laughs> at okay. a conference and they were selling each other virtual things and doing sell pitches. And the conference they did what during the school year you did virtually online. Right. Right. Okay. So it was an opportunity just for that time to get together face to face and actually have like a, you know, like a face to face interaction, which was really valuable for obviously for the students. Um, and, and I got to go along and be a chaperone for the trip. And here we are. Uh, of course, we did took in some sightseeing with the kids and everything while we were there, took some, had some opportunities. And at one point we're in Times Square and, uh, you know, walking down the street in Times Square, and and it was just me and Jay, and there were a number of other adults who had groups of kids. But for whatever reason, it was me and Jay and maybe a couple of kids walking down the street, um, going into a different store, and somebody from behind us said, "Mr. Iliadis," and we thought it was no one of our, you know one of the students, right? And so we both turn around. He turns around, and here comes walking up this kid who graduated from high school and was one of his students like five years before. And he was living in New York City. Ran into him in Times Square of New York City. Yeah. (laughs) And he was doing Broadway uh, musical work and stuff. And and so we're in Times Square and he calls out and and we're talking to him. But every time I was with Jay, um, I think partly because he was such a great teacher and had great relationships with the students, but partly because you just end up having thousands of students over years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere we would go, it was Mr. Iliadis, and it was some former yeah, student, you know, and he was like, what's up? You know, and they were talking, and they were like, where have you been? Remember? And, oh, he'd remember all of them. Really? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, wow. yeah, so, it, you know, he was one of those people that, but I think a lot of teachers have that kind of experience when they've been there for a long time, for more than 10 years, you know, 15 years. The longer they go, the more of those kinds of things that happen when you're just out and about somewhere, it's and even around. not even in your own town, but traveling, and you see students, uh, former students and stuff. It's pretty that's interesting. Fantastic. And that's, I think that goes to show, um, part of how, why I respect teachers so much Mm. is, um, the likelihood of them to have such a significant impact upon a large number of students or people, adults, Mm -hmm. future adults, uh, is tremendous. I mean, it's, it's great. And just as the great teachers have tremendous impact, um, I think encouragement from what I've seen working around the teachers um, as well is that the concern of not reaching some of those students is also very inspiring to um, the teachers Mm -hmm. of the fear of this kid over here is struggling as well. And I just can't 
reach that kid for whatever reason, whatever barrier is there, and there's complex issues and things. Maybe it's the issues with the teacher, maybe it's issues with the student, or maybe it's issues with things that neither have control over. Yep. Um, but I've spoken to a number of, of teachers who explained that that's, that's part of their motivation is how do I reach that kid? How do I get that kid as well as the other 20 kids who are getting it and moving along? How do I also grab that one to learn this subject matter as well? Yeah, I think that is, that in many ways, that's the hallmark of a great teacher is the person who's able to kind of notice and, and be concerned enough to even lose sleep at night <laughs> sure really over like how do i how do i reach that one you know how do i reach that one that really 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 needs it i think that's a lot of public servants oh absolutely deal with that yeah and um and i work with a bunch of of men and women who um also struggle with some of those thoughts of mm-hmm. how can we and maybe it's not an individual but how do we reach out and how do we help this part of the community mm-hmm. or this part of the uh, business community or, you know, school site? How do we, how do we open this dialogue? Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, the, the profession has suffered from um, a lack of dialogue uh, both ways. Uh, I think sometimes the community feels that police officers are not approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes police officers feel that Sometimes the community is not approachable. Um, but I think that <clears throat> understanding that truly being engaged is what brings value both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of um, asking the police department what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it um, should happen just as much as the police department should be willing to explain what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it should mm-hmm. happen. Um, but... You know, reaching out to the team at PAL when I walk when I walk around uh, the police activities league, um, walking down the hallway, and once you get past that awkward moment of you know it's just socially awkward moment too when you first get introduced to someone to start that conversation, mm-hmm. that should be the only awkward time. Um, all that middle conversation and discussion of what can we do for our community? How can we protect? this segment of the population from that segment of the population? How do criminals interact with victims and how do they pick them and how do they decide on this person over here and not that person over there? Uh, I think the more we discuss that as a group, um, knowing that the community has tremendous power in um, prevent, not only preventing crime, but also discouraging crime. Um, you know, I, I think that's the difference between those communities that have strong reaction and strong uh, preventative measures in place uh, for crime and those that don't. Mm. Um, and it's sad to see some of those cities that don't have that relationship. Right. Um, I think Fairfield uh, and Susun, uh, in my experience, does that really well. Um, the Although, to be fair, I, I get an inside look, you know, in my mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the opportunity to spend a lot of time with the police officers. And so I do get to know you a little more personally than I think the common person does. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've seen is is a lot of openness, a lot of really purposeful openness to to creating relationships and to explaining things. And um, 
and and being open, being approachable, because uh, the uniform itself it makes it a little difficult sometimes. Sure. You know, right? You know, you see the uniform and it's like, whoop, whoop. Mm-hmm. police officer, they're in their official capacity. They're you know they are all business. Yep. You know, um, things could be they could be dealing with something really rough right now. You know, which you could, but but at the same time. I think the people in the uniforms in our area do a fantastic job of really trying uh, to break through those barriers as much as possible. That being said, like I said, I have a lot more exp- of, of, of access uh, mm-hmm. than the normal person does. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to get people like you on the show to be able to give people a little bit more access to see like, oh, look, Troy's a human being right. and, uh, <laughs> right. you know, has goals and ideas and um, just like anybody else. And, uh, and, and inside that uniform, he's got things that are kind of driving him um, mm-hmm. that he's interested in. And, uh, and, and, you know, um, you and other people in, a, in positions of authority are going to make mistakes at times. And the hope is that if people know you a little bit better, then then they give you a little bit more slack. They're like, well, I know that that's, I know their intention. I believe their intention is good. Mm-hmm. If they've done something that I don't think is right, you know, then, then maybe there's a reason for that that's below the surface. It's all of these issues... And I know police work is always more nuanced, more complicated than people think it is. And even though people think, you know, obviously it's going to be complicated. It's all human beings that we're dealing with here. But um, but it's it's really important to kind of expose those things a little bit and to kind of pull back the curtain and sure and get get a more personal understanding of who people are. I think those are good points. I I agree with most of them. Um, I'll. I'll shift a little bit away from it. Um, yes, we are all humans. We are all people. Um, but I, I think that the expected high standard should stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, because when police officers do make mistakes, and we do, we're people, we're humans, you, everything you just said, that's absolutely true. However, when we do make mistakes, the impact that that has on the person that we're making that mistake around um, or the community um, that is exposed to that mistake is tremendously negative. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a person. I live in a community. I have a family. I'm part of a community as well. I expect the police officers that are involved in my community to be extremely professional, do their job, do their job correctly, and not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I know that that is... Um, an unlikely expectation that will ever be matched. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to strive for that. Um, I, I think that I, I demand high expectations of myself. Um, I demand high, or I have high expectations of those that work with me or work for me as well. Um, just because I have seen some, the impact that those small mistakes can have on a person or a entire community. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting world that we that we live in. Um, I I believe that we're more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that if every if every person in the community held the view that police officers are people as well, just as every police officer held the view that every member in our community um, deserves the highest level of professional law enforcement uh, service possible, 
everything would be gravy. It would be a fantastic <laughs> community to live in. But the issue and the problem comes in when emotions come into mm-hmm. play, um, when different perspectives or different definitions of things come into play. Um, I think all of us want a, a city that is crime-free. I think you can, you can survey as many people as you want yep. to and ask, do you <laughs> want to live in a community that's crime, crime-free? I think the vast majority of them will say, <laughs> absolutely, that's what I want. But what we differ on is, how do you get there? Right. How do, you, how do we police ourselves in a way that tries to rid crime from our community without stepping on toes? Um, an adage just popped, an adage just popped I, into I, my unnecessarily, mind. Unnecessarily yeah. um, taking away freedoms. Yep. You're right. If and I'm going to make a car stop, and I don't know who's in that car. I don't know what their history is or what they're about when I make that car stop. Mm-hmm. Unless I recognize the person. But for the most time, most of the time when I make car stops, I don't know who this person is. Could it be you on your way to work? Um, could it be her on her way to um, her drug dealer? Um, could it be him on his way to the bank? Or could it be him on his way to the grocery store? Who, who knows? Um, and in our community, we have all of those people. Um, but as a police officer, I'm making a car stop for a violation um, to help the community be safer. But if I stop someone who has been stopped five or six times this month, mm-hmm. they might have a different um, approach than someone who this is the first time they've been pulled over in five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when those definitions and those approaches and those points of view have a very interesting mix. Um, and where those come together and meet and how that happens, I would like to believe everybody could sit around and talk about it and say, hey, this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, but that doesn't happen all the time. Right? And that's when we get stuck in those spots where confrontation occurs. Um, well, hang on, just let me explain this. Whether that's coming from the police officer or the person that the police officer mm-hmm. is dealing with, um, that's when we start to get stuck in some spots that are not good for the overall right. community caretaking and safety of what we want police officers to do. Sometimes I, like we could parse out the, the mistake thing, comment, versus the it's really complicated and nuanced comment. Like, so maybe, maybe I didn't make that clear, but I, but I think, um, obviously, yeah, we all make mistakes, but I mean, it's possible actually happens quite a bit happens a lot in, in my line of work in the leadership in the school district. And I see this a lot with leadership all around where somebody, the leader doesn't make a mistake or they don't think they've made a mistake. They, they meant mm-hmm. to do what they meant to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have, what they believe are really good reasons for why they made the decision they made. But the issue is very complicated, right? And so somebody coming from the outside of that issue usually thinks it's a lot simpler than it is, mm-hmm. right? So when you're not working with that particular thing every single day, you don't get so deep into it that you realize how complicated. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about this, about string theory, um, in the school district where from the perspective of the, everything's connected by a string, okay. right? And when you go make a decision that's going to change this thing over here, it goes and makes, yeah. it, and makes this change over there and that gets changed over there because it's all connected, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes every decision you make to change something 
can, can be a pretty complicated decision. Um, but for people who are not in it every day, they tend to boil that down to a f- much simpler mm-hmm. sort of idea. And they're like, why did they make that decision? I don't, I don't understand. Like that, that makes no sense to me. And it wouldn't unless you had an hour or more sometimes to sit down and really talk through all of the things that affected that decision. Mm-hmm. Right. And people don't, mm-hmm. they don't know. So like one of the things that I, that I wish, you know, sometimes that, um, that, uh, that I could do, which I know I really can't, but, um, as a public information officer, <laughs> sometimes I wish there were ways that I could, um, record some of the meetings that our leadership has. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of things that we, that we talk about that are confidential and there are things that are in that, 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 you know, only certain people should know, mm-hmm. you know, because it's about other people, you know, personnel issues or what have you, uh, or personal issues for students, you know, or whatever it, it may be that, that people just can't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, but if they if they could see what what the leaders in this area talk about the things that I get to see behind the curtain in those meetings, um, and if they could take away the confidential stuff that <laughs> right and just see the context of how those conversations go, they'd have an awful lot more trust, I believe, in some of the decisions that are made at the leadership level in their community, because they would see that the hearts are in the right place, right? Mm-hmm. The, the evaluation going on is a complicated evaluation, and sometimes there isn't a right answer. Actually, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's not a right answer. There's a, I think this is a better answer than this. <laughs> well, the right but, versus wrong dilemma <laughs> is an easy one, but what do you do when you have the right and the right dilemma, or a wrong right. versus wrong dilemma? It's mm-hmm. how do you come to a decision that has the best impact overall long-term? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a that's a human issue where mm-hmm. we want to understand what's going on. We want to know why decisions are made um, and how that process is done. But how tedious and slow this world would turn if every step everywhere along the way is explained, except for we work for public organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the public's trust for a reason. Um, and if we don't take that time to explain it to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, why should people trust us? Um, right. And I think when you have a couple of, especially when it comes to those right versus right, tough right. decisions, mm-hmm. and somebody who believes their perspective is right, yet leadership chooses the other right, mm-hmm it would be challenging for that person to understand um, that the decision was made for what's best for all for long-term reasons, in my my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do you then open dialogue with that person so both sides are open enough to understand compromise was needed, and unfortunately at the time the compromise went one way as opposed to their way. Right. And, man, that's when people feel burnt. People yeah. feel betrayed. They feel, well, you know, why aren't you providing me with a service, an education, or for, you know, customer service from the police department? And how do you keep them part of the contributing side 
of the community to better the community when they don't understand how decisions were made. Right. And I don't think our fields are too different. I think law enforcement no, I don't has a lot think of confidentiality as no, well. There's a lot of similarities there. And and I, I think there's the the farther you get into it, there are concepts, overarching concepts that are useful in any any discipline um, to to sort of uh, build that trust. Right. That's one of those things I'm really kind of interested in and, and geeking out on <laughs> is how do you build trust yeah. in, a, in a way that allows you to get things done from a leadership perspective, right? Because what I see a lot is the things that don't allow you to get done. You could be perfectly good at your job. You could be perfectly trustworthy. Um, and, and yet there's, and there will always be a swath of people that are like this, but the, the question is, what's the percentage, right? How many people, what percentage of the people that you're supposed to be serving come come to any of those conversations mm-hmm. um, not trusting you right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know you, right? But they don't trust you. Well, these are old concepts. They've been around forever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure and Aristotle how do you How do you make that better, right? You, yeah. you can't fix it because... You know, but but you're right. It's these are old concepts, and they're what's interesting. I think too is though these old concepts that can always be learned more about, and can al- there's always more to learn. Um, they are the mechanisms that affect them are changing with technology, and you know the ways that we communicate are are much more varied today than they were. Even twenty years ago, sure, right, and that, sure. which is a, a good um, a, a good example of that is is the before Thanksgiving break, the fire, uh, the smoke that was coming down, uh, especially from the fire um, up north, and we spent m- me and Nicole. Um, my my one employee <laughs> in our communications department, um, our fledgling communications department, spent a lot of time um, that week before Thanksgiving break um, communicating with people a lot through Twitter, a lot through um, Facebook, um, explaining to people. Um, why you know why are we keeping schools open? The air quality is so bad, mm-hmm. right? And trying to kind of the challenge of trying to kind of talk to that and to speak to that and to explain that in tweets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a certain number of words. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get two hundred and you know eighty characters or whatever it is, right? And so. Um, it, it's a very interesting place to be because com- communication changes that. You know, the technology changes some of those modes that you have to really um, work within, and and it can cause. Um, I, I think one of the things that's most interesting about it is is the ebbs and flows are much faster than they used to be. The the how how fast something negative can get out of control. As well as how quickly it dies down, mm-hmm. and you know, people don't have as much of, of an attention span for that sort of stuff as they used to either. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that this stuff would, you know, something negative would would really kind of 
become a thing over a period of weeks or months, you know, and news would be a part of that sort of ebbing, and then it would kind of go away over a, over, you know, a, over a certain amount of time. Now you see these cycles come up really fast where a lot of people are really interested and a lot of people are really uh, even upset, you know, about a particular thing going on in just a, a day or two's time. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes away all of a sudden. This is so strange. Well, I think I think it goes to show the um, the expectations of the communities and what what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ability to reach out, like you mentioned, social media, tremendous. It, it is shifting the way we interact with our entire community. Um, not only from our perspective to get information out, but also how information comes in. Um, And it's incumbent upon us as government officials to embrace that, um, support that, and use that as a way to increase our voice to others. Uh, And it's change. It's it's changing things. It's a new perspective. I think it's challenging for some of us who have been around for a little bit of time, uh, especially before social media even existed, um, to get that shift. Yeah. And to understand that that's now the expectation. Oh, yeah. Is, um, you know, someone wants to jump on Twitter and know what's going on. Someone wants to jump on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. There's probably a handful of ones that I don't even know exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember when MySpace was the, the first way that you could communicate with a whole group of friends all at once. That was impossible back right. when I was growing up. <laughs> there was no way to do that. Yeah. Um, but that's how technology has changed. And I... I if we don't embrace that and use that, I think we're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to recognize, I think, and, and that's one of the things that's interesting about about my job is it's really changing a lot. You know, it's kind of growing and there are things that I plan on doing and then stuff like that comes up, you know, that nobody can control. Yeah. And and that's what I end up doing that week. And I don't I don't regret it or 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 um, I think I think it's it's easy to to kind of be like Man, my whole week got shot. You know, everything I planned to do, <laughs> I to do this. that week was shot. And yet at the same time, in retrospect, I can look back at the week and I can say, you know, there was a lot of actually really good community interaction that happened as a result of that. And in fact, there were um, interactions that happened on both Twitter and on Facebook, um, you know, some we weren't able to satisfy people. Um, mm-hmm. In others, we were able to kind of explain it enough that they that I think we built some trust, um, and and that was all um, public, so everybody could read that after the fact. It wasn't just yeah, it wasn't just the people who were communicating, but other people could see that and like it or or say, okay, uh, you know, I'm kind of getting this, and so in a sense. That that personal conversation that we're having with with an individual or maybe a few people is is actually a mass communication technique at the same time, and at the same time when we were having some of these interesting conversations and explaining things to people and and people would say, well, what about this and what about that? and they would kind of prod us and poke us and and push us, you know. And um, in fact, I had I had one interaction that was particularly interesting on Twitter with a student. Um, where where the student said it, the air quality is so bad outside right now. You know, I've looked it up and and uh, you know I don't know if they really did, but I've I've done a little research and the air quality is so bad right now. You might as well allow us to um, uh, to smoke on campus. 
like typical right. you know kind of uh, you know uh, reasoning you know of, of, of somebody who wants to say you know let's let's see let's see how so they react to it. this yep. let's see how we respond to this and I, I don't I don't even think it was smoke it was the other thing vaping right like okay. why don't you just allow us to vape on campus if you're gonna make us you know hang Stay out here. here in the smoke you know and uh, well, where are they gonna go so we right. <laughs> exactly. had a lot of these conversations. <laughs> So in, in my in my family, we talked about this, and the, the interesting discussion was, okay, so close the school down, or close work down, or close the job down. Sure. Where, Where on go? earth are you going to go? Right. Well, you're going to you're going to stay home. I mean, well, is home any safer than in the classroom? Well, or um, in the office. The argument, and, and I'll and I'll I'll be the argument because I saw it many times. Right. The argument was, well, if I were at home, I wouldn't have to go outside at all. But because, oh, um, but because I have to go to school, I have to actually go to school. Okay. There was a number of people who said I have to walk to school a mile. Um, Great points. I, you know, didn't even think of that. So, okay. um, and then between classes for high school and junior high, um, having to move from one class to another. Um, now the science isn't really behind that. Um, when you're in the unhealthy range, unhealthy sounds really bad, and it is. I'm not saying it isn't bad. But when you look at the recommendations from the Solano County Health Department, which is who we go by, <laughs> is what their recommendations are. And you read the actual recommendations along with unhealthy, which is where we were solidly pretty much all week, okay. that week. Um, it's You can be outside. Sensitive groups, try not to be outside. So if I have asthma. So if you have asthma. Stay inside. Stay inside. As much as humanly possible. Stay inside. Okay. okay. Um, that's the sensitive groups. That's not everybody. That's a small group. That's a small section of, of the total. So right? if I don't have asthma. So if you don't have asthma, the, the recommendation is, um, is, is don't exert yourself outside. So being outside is actually not that bad in unhealthy air. But don't run. Don't exert yourself. Don't do push-ups. Don't do PE, which we don't. You know, when it's unhealthy, it's there's no PE um, outside. We if we have space to do it inside, we can. Um, and all the sports and stuff after school sports is called off. No practices, okay. that sort of stuff. Anything that's out there where you're actually exerting yourself. So that's what it says. That's what we go by. So it shouldn't be a problem to be outside walking calmly for three minutes, for four or five minutes at a time, going for a mile. From school and to school might be a problem. Okay. Um, I kind of get that. But at the same time, you know, work with your neighbors, work with friends, work with family. See, maybe you could get a ride that day. You know, maybe you could yep. carpool. It doesn't have to be something you get, you arrange for every single day. But if we work together, our parent groups work together, maybe, you know, maybe we do a temporary carpooling situation help each other out so those are the kinds of conversations we're having you know like you know why not well my answer to 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 that person on twitter was you know two wrongs don't make a right right (laughs) it's like just because the air quality is not so good doesn't mean we're going to let you vape at school go let you vape all you want um and and uh and then the answer back was well okay so are you saying that it's that it's wrong that you that you keep us out in the air quality? <laughs> I'm like, I get where you're going yeah. with this. All right, let's 
They want to go this. They're dead set. It's all right. But you have those conversations, and, and it kind of feels like this is pointless, right? Because in some cases, because um, because where they're going with it isn't as much of a reasonable conversation as it is. They're sort of poking poking the weak spots, you know, yep. trying to trying to get you off balance, and and they're trying to get you to a place where you'll say, okay, we call off school, you get to stay home. Um, but the other, the flip side of that conversation is that there is a fair amount of students that we have in our school district who are actually homeless or don't have good living situations where air is filtered in the, in the place that they live. Okay. In which case, and, and we could say that's 20% maybe of our students district-wide, it's a fair enough number where we could say, and, and we do say this, this is the conversation that happens behind closed doors with, with leadership when we talk about should we close a school. We want to keep the school open as long as it's reasonably safe, especially if it's reasonably more safe than that 20% of kids would have if they had to stay home unexpectedly. Mom and dad are not going to be home. Mom or dad are not going to be home because they have to work, maybe. Um, that younger child especially, if they're home alone, may not, um, may not uh, realize it's really important to stay inside when the air quality is that bad. And they may spend their day outside, which is not Running good. Running around in the yard. Okay. Running around in the yard, unsupervised. Um, or you have homeless kids. You gen- we genuinely have homeless kids. I know there's a lot of people that, that have a hard time believing that um, because that's not the, the normal situation. But there are kids who are, literally live in their cars with family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have a good place to go. And it's, a, it's better for them to be at school in those situations. And so, you know, our answer is, like, as long as we keep school open, there's a place for them to be. If you feel like it's a danger for you to be at school, then stay home. But what many of them wanted was to stay home with a free pass and not, and not have that counted as an absence. Right. We can't do both. That's the problem. So from an organizational standpoint, if we have school open, we have to take attendance by law. Okay. And we have to count you absent if you're if you're not, you know, if you're not there, and you don't have a doctor's note or an excuse if it's not an excusable absence. So you know, working through all those conversations over Twitter and Facebook and stuff, it was just like, wow, this is crazy. But at the end of the week, we looked back on it and we were like, okay, you know what? We actually added quite a few people, quite a few followers on Twitter, quite a few friends on Facebook. Okay. Because of that engagement. Because we had that interaction. Because people were like, well, there's somebody actually human here on the other side who's answering my questions. Is willing to take the time to do that. I think the more we do that, that investment was, was, I think, overall is helpful. That investment is worth it. Um, It's a a new world, Mm -hmm. technology-wise and everything. Um, but, But when you give people that kind of an interaction... A, that kind of a human interaction using the technology, you get more followers, and when you get more followers, you your communication is more effective. Yeah, your exchange of information between two groups, the public and, in this case, the school district, 
is the goal. Yeah. And reaching more people is the goal. In today's community, when it's much easier for me to sit behind a computer and type to you and say, hey, Tim, I don't understand why this is happening. It's easier for me to do that over Twitter than it is for me to go to a school board meeting. Right. Um, or it's easier for me to do that and to schedule a meeting with someone at the school district. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beauty of doing it over, over social media that's public is that everybody then afterwards gets to see that answer. So mm-hmm. you can pretty much bet that if somebody asks the question, there's probably a lot of other people who also a have A few that others question, that have it. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you answer that question, then that answer benefits all of those people who saw that who also had that same question. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So um, it, it's interesting. I, I, would, I would say that the public information and communications today is sort of, in schools especially, is sort of like this burgeoning growth area um, like technology was in the 90s. So for schools in the 90s, you saw technology go from being almost nothing in 1990 to in the year 2000, there being entire IT departments for school districts where there were there was no IT department before that and that all happened in, in one decade and I think that's kind of happening right now for communications in school districts it's, I don't know how it is in other public it may be the same in other um, in other organizations as well but you see a similarity there where for the first time this position that I'm in was was created and filled for the first time four years ago in our school district. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing these sort of public information officer type positions being created in districts all over. Mm-hmm. And then those departments are now are starting to grow because they're, they're starting to see the value in having those kinds of conversations with the community that we haven't been able to have before because technology wasn't there. Yeah, and I think that the same questions are always there. People are always concerned about the education of their kids, the safety of their kids, and how, I mean, it it reflects kind of similar, how are we get? how am I giving the power and the authority to the school district to not only educate my child, but ensure that my child is safe, nurtured, loved when they're at school. Mm -hmm. That's a big responsibility to take from me to give to you Mm -hmm. for those eight hours uh, while my kid is in your custody. but as, as a successful community, that's what we need to do. That's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Communities have to set up structures where we where we help each other that yeah. way, and we trust each other in that way. Um, yeah, and I, you know, it's <laughs> this is interesting. We've we're we're at a hundred at an hour and twenty three minutes. Just so you know. Oh man, it hasn't felt like it. Is it amazing? Felt like an hour and twenty minutes? Probably to them. <laughs> What are they even talking about? What's going on? What are they even mumbling about? <laughs> crazy people. But, but you know, it's easy. I, I think it's easy to have these conversations. And, um, you know, it may not, may not be interesting to everybody. Uh, probably isn't interesting to a lot of people. <laughs> but but I think as long as it's interesting to us and, and we're able to kind of communicate that out, there will be some people who take, it, who take a look at it and go, well, that's that's a conversation I probably wouldn't have been able to be a fly on the wall for. Um, 
in a normal situation, and now I get to kind of see it. You know? Yeah. Well, it's good to have that opportunity. Yeah. Can, can I challenge you with something? Sure. So if the intention is to expose people to people and other people in the community uh, who they otherwise would not be, what do you think the community would like to ask a sergeant from the police department that they might not have that opportunity to ask? <laughs> I can think of a couple of different things. Do you want to ask them? <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. All right. Okay. So, um, what I would think, especially in this community, because it, it comes up quite often when I see it online quite a bit and, and with people talking a lot, um, is, is the issue of homelessness and how, mm-hmm. how that affects our community, how the police um, deal with that in, 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 in sort of the broad scope. But, um, we, you know, I think... Um, from from home from the per, there, I would say that there is this idea, positive, negative, true, false, not quite sure, but there's an idea that homelessness is a bigger issue um, for our community in Fairfield than it is necessarily in Vacaville or. Um, or, or maybe certainly in Dixon, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, but as far as Solano County is concerned, um, there, there seems to be a lot of talk about it being a bigger issue in Fairfield. And we have some issues going on from a city level as well, where there's decisions being made right now. People are looking over, like, how do we deal with um, the sort of recent problems with, with, with organizations that were put together that existed specifically to help deal with homeless mm-hmm. um, and, and how the city council and, and the city manager are working through some of those things right now, um, as well as like, you know, there's attitudes that go the entire gamut in this city as well. Like, right, there's the attitude that goes from, from I don't ever want to see a homeless person, you know, I don't, I don't care how you do it, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Right to to the you know people who who have a you know far on the other side uh, bleeding heart perspective where it's like you know we have to do something to help these people mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and what are we going to do to help these people we have an obligation as a community to help these people. Um, get to where they can get on their feet mm-hmm. and and give them some sort of success. And you see the gamut of ideas in this community from one side all the way to the other. So what is homelessness like? How does how do you deal with that as a police officer? What does that look like in your day-to-day? Is it something you deal with all the time? Or is it something that um, that, that you don't deal with as much as people think of it? that maybe you do? It's another big question, Tim. Lots of parts of that question. I know. Thanks a lot. But hey, you know, like I just said, uh, that's what I I'll know the community is talking about. I'll start it by saying from each extreme end and everywhere in between, every single approach and perspective has tremendous value. Um, just as our community is extremely diverse, so is how 
how to successfully deal with the homeless population is is an answer that I don't think anybody has. It hasn't worked for, I mean, there's been a homeless issue ever since I can remember growing up. I remember being a kid in town, uh, I'm sorry, a kid knowing who the homeless people in town were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it is, this is the new. epitome of, of complicated problems. Absolutely. Community issues. <laughs> is it a police department issue? No. Is it a social issue? No. Is it a is it a um, addiction issue? No. Is it a mental health issue? No. Um, it's all of them. It's all it's of all things. of them. <laughs> is it a school district issue? Absolutely. No. And yes. It's, yes. It's I mean, it's part of all of it. Right. Um, but no individual organization is going to have all the answers. Otherwise, there would be somebody who is going to be going around this country. Um, implementing policy and procedures that solve and resolve the homeless problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So from a police officer's perspective, I would think every patrol officer on every shift responds to at least one call somehow associated with an individual with um, issues of homelessness drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or mental health. Um, Not that these are all the same people, but of those concerns. And those are all societal ills that the Fairfield Police Department will never resolve on their own. Um, But I think our community is unique. Um, I do think that the issues around homelessness in Fairfield are unique to Fairfield, and whatever works in Fairfield... Um, probably won't work in most other communities because most other communities are not like Fairfield. Um, what might work in another community might not work in Fairfield. And then what could work this year might not work in two or three years because the homeless, mm. the homeless population and, and their needs change. So I guess that's a really safe answer to say, I don't know. Right. I'm not sure. No, but I think, I think that's, that is such a good way to, to couch that. And I think it's important to think about that from the standpoint of, I think we, we always, we learn a lot from other communities. I know that when we go to conferences and we, we have opportunities in, in a lot of our jobs to go see how other people do things. And we can always Mm -hmm. pull things away from that and go, that's interesting. That might be something that that could be sort of used in in our area, but at the end of the day, the communities that we live in are so unique. Mm-hmm. And even here, you know, when you say when this this podcast is really for Solano County, and yet, you know, when you when you talk about the different cities that make up Solano County, you see some pretty drastically different challenges, demographics. Um, it's they're all very different and what works in one area is not necessarily going to work in another i would agree and that, I, and I would challenge point. i would challenge your audience anybody in your audience who has the question of what will leadership do to help resolve the homeless issue i would challenge them to remember that we're dealing with people and i would reflect that question right back and say what are you doing to help mm. resolve this issue what have you given? What have you donated? What have you dedicated? What have you built? What structure or system have you mm. implemented to help one homeless person, mm. let alone the population of three or four or five hundred 
that are in our communities. Um, and, and if that's the John F. Kennedy question, right? Yeah, well, when <laughs> no one asks where your country is. Yeah, and, and I think that applies to today as much as it did back then. Um, if you're looking, if I am a member of the community and I'm only looking to the police department, the fire department, the school district, the city leadership, the city management to solve all of the issues of our community, um, then I'm not in a right place to place expectations. Um, if I'm the stereotypical um, super commuter who simply sleeps here at night, I wake up and I drive outside of the community. I don't know my neighbors. I don't know who the city management is. I don't know who runs our city government. I don't know who runs our school district. I don't know who runs our police department. Yet I come back to the city and I complain about everything. Yet I don't donate my Saturdays to any good cause um, or cause that I think is important. Um, Because what you think might be a good cause, Mm -hmm. I think might be a sham. But... If you're a person who's not giving time and effort and energy and thought into improving our community, then why are you expecting others to do that? Take ownership of that. Um, I think that's the best thing and the best start we can do. And that's what I would encourage people to do is find a cause or a purpose or a desire that drives you to improve our community and do that. There's a ton of organizations out there. There are a ton of nonprofits out there. There are a ton of opportunities out there for people who um, want to improve things to do so. Um, I'm noticing the pin on your collar is a tremendous organization that does a lot of good in our community. Um, but the Rotary Club is not the only club out there. That's right. Um, there are, I, I can think off the top of my head, probably 10 or 15 organizations out there that do tremendously good work in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have very unique niches. Some of them are very broad in general. Mm-hmm. Um, Go join one of them. Try it out for six months. Try it out for a year. If it's a crappy organization that doesn't offer you anything, then go try another one. Um, but do something. Yeah. Uh, don't just sit on your couch and, you know, the internet trolling is, is a big label that, you know, we love to throw around. But if you can spend an hour or two or a night on the internet trolling and commenting um, anonymously uh, to stir the pot or poke why can't I? You have an awful lot of time to, to give to the community there. Go give, give that time positive. to something else. Yep. <laughs> Go do give, that. Give half the time. Give, yeah. give a part of the time. Yep. <laughs> Keep a log. I think a lot of people don't understand where their time goes. No, uh, no, that's true. And I think, I, I think you know what? I think they don't understand it um, where their time goes um, consciously. But I think most people... Um, do unconsciously realize that there's that that their time is getting used in these strange ways that aren't mm-hmm. really that helpful, mm-hmm. and it creates an internal dissatisfaction for a lot of people, and they can't put their finger on what it is, right? Until they get involved in something where they can they can serve the greater good. I agree. Uh, whether that be, I mean, for for you that may be church, it may be um, Rotary. Type organizations, it may be. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm blessed, and maybe you feel the same way. I'm blessed that that I get to make a living doing something that I feel like is a mission that helps the community. Yep, I agree. And I, and that's that's a wonderful. I think in a lot of ways, that's a that's a great reward. I may not get paid as much as 
you know, a vice president or a CEO of a, of a commercial company would get paid. But I know that when I get up every day and what I do um, impacts possibly thousands of kids um, for their future. And that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel motivated mm-hmm. to do what I do. So so I, I, I get that sense. But if But if you're, you know, if you're somebody who your main job is, is to is to to do something that makes money for a company. That's what most people do. That that's what most people do in this world is is they they, they do a job that helps a company make money, and um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is fine, great, no problem. And yet at the same time, I think um, you know it, it could be that 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 people are a lot of times missing the opportunity to do something for the community that would ultimately really bring a lot of fulfillment to them personally. And that you don't really you don't really get a sense of that until you've tried it. And I would invite them to work backwards. So there's a um, there's an exercise people can do where you can sit down and you can make a list of what your values are and what you uh, value in the community. And you can compare those lists and see where they cross and then figure out from that list to then find an organization that matches what you have on your own personal list. So instead of going, oh, I'm going to go try this organization or that organization or look over here or I saw this bumper sticker on someone's car, what is that all about? Mm -hmm. Instead of going that route and kind of shopping for purpose, um, write down what your own values are. Write down what you would like to contribute within the community. Right. Um, And then go find an organization that closely matches-ish those and I think um, finding finding an outlet to give um, purpose and thought, um, not only you as an individual, maybe you're part of a family. Maybe it's something your whole family can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's something you and your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend can do, or your husband or your wife can do, or your kids or grandkids, or I don't know, something, your neighbor. Who, who knows? Go meet the neighbor who you don't even know their name because all you do is come right. home from work and pull in the garage and close the garage. And you're like, yeah. I know people live there, but... <laughs> I don't know their names. That's so true. That's that's how we live now. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and then that's how I think that's how we get to the point where we're pointing to other people, going, "Well, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, you know what? Point that finger right back to yourself and go, "Well, what am I doing? Yeah. What can I do to improve it? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe you're already doing as much as you can. Yeah. And you know, spreading your time between work and family and church and sports and I, I don't know, whatever else. You and it doesn't even necessarily have to be that earth shaking, like, like this is a really core, I'm going to go feed the homeless or something like that. I, I think of, um, uh, the, uh, the night where, um, gosh, I, I can't, I'm blanking a national night out. Yep. Right. So national night out is this thing that that's kind of become a pretty pretty big thing locally um but that provides anybody the opportunity to go on uh, a website register uh that they're going to have a get together on national line out and then just work with their neighbors to like have a party mm-hmm. um basically like yep. in your cul-de-sac or in front of your house or at your house or in the backyard or wherever you're going to do it and you know i mean you think, well, that's no big deal. I mean, that's not earth-shaking, right? You're going to have a party, right? You're going to get people together and have something to eat and talk. Maybe it's not but, earth-shaking. Or but maybe it's it turned is. out to be something very, I think, very, very positive for mm-hmm. our community. 
and it, and the police and the fire department and our school district and a number of other agencies, transportation, um, have have taken that as an opportunity to get around the community and mingle with people and, and give them an opportunity to just talk to you face to face when you maybe maybe hadn't known that wouldn't have otherwise had contact. And the chief of police gets out there. You don't get the opportunity very often to go up to the chief of police at a park with a hot dog in your hand and say, hey, what about this? You hey, know? Randy, can you really grow a mustache like Tom Selleck? Right. Or were those guys full of crap? Yeah. Well, tell, us, tell me the deal. Yeah, and you're right. That's um, I heard this thing on this obscure podcast. Yeah, me and my two friends were listening to this. I don't know if anybody else was. Exactly. But there are these two guys that were having great conversation. <laughs> and now I wanted to come out and meet you. But you're absolutely right. There's tremendous value in that. And, and finding those outlets... It's, it's important. So community cop question number two. Yep. Ready. How do you feel about, um, about body cameras? Those body cameras you got to put on and, and, and like, Fantastic. like, so, so how long ago did you, did you guys institute those, um, in, in Fairfield? Do you know, do you remember? I don't know. I do remember it was a handful. Of, it was probably five or six years ago when we first started seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a skeptic at first. Um, I thought, why, why do I need to record everything that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, well, it's because when I come to work, I sell my time to this community um, to provide them with a service, and they should be able to tap in at any time to see anything that I'm doing while I'm working. Dang, and there's that's... nothing wrong with that. <laughs> There's a lot of people that would not have of, that view. I'm kind of an outlier with that. That's but that's really open. I am well <laughs> short of I when like I'm that. using the restroom, when I you know well, I'm doing some private things. Yeah, but yeah. I don't mind at any time anybody tapping into my camera, my mm-hmm. computer, my phone, my conversation. Um, if I'm concerned about that, then there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so I have found that the cameras that police officers wear. The first, my first impact was, um, it's supporting the fact that police officers, um, 99.9% of the time are doing a tremendously fabulous job. Um, they have, they deal with challenging circumstances under very stressful, emotional times in people's lives of chaos and problems. Nobody mm-hmm. ever calls the police to go. Things are great. I would like you to come. Well, maybe national night out I'd right. like you to come to my house and have a, <laughs> a hot dog and we can talk about things. But most of the time things have hit the fan and they are, they don't know what to do or need help doing something. So they call the police. Um, what we see on those videos are tremendously professional men and women in our community interacting and trying to help people. Um, sometimes, um, my way of helping you is arresting someone who's doing something bad Mm -hmm. and they don't want that to happen. Um, and I was shocked and amazed at how many people, I don't really want to say we'll, we'll lie and fabricate things. So I will nicely say that their perspective of what is occurring um, is not reality. And when someone comes, lie and fabricate things, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> and when someone comes to the police department and complains that officer so-and-so said and did A, B, and C, when it's recorded on their camera that officer did not do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Instead, they did one, two, and three that was absolutely by law, by policy, and was appropriate and ethical. Um, it, 
shuts the door to the false allegations of, I just don't like that police officer because they arrested me when I was actually misbehaving. Yeah. So I like the cameras for that. But you're right too. Like I I made a joke of that, but at the same time, um, you're so right. When people are under stress or even when they're just going through their normal lives, they do have a different perception Mm-hmm. Of what has happened, sure. Sometimes, and and so do you. So do I. That's that. You know, Absolutely. people are like that, right? You get people in a courtroom, you know, witnesses, and you're going to get five different stories. And sometimes the the goal is to find the commonalities of those things where it makes sense, and and that's maybe as close to the truth as you're going to you're going to get. So I don't think that's an unreasonable way to say it that that people under stress are could perceive things. Very differently, different than what reality is. Than what reality is, and, and this that video camera, camera that helps. I'm wearing here, um, something that's important to remember is this is just a very small sliver <laughs> of what else is going on. Right. This is a very unique perspective. Um, this might not even be what I'm seeing. What what I'm look. I could be looking over here with this camera that's mounted oh, yeah, on my chest totally. that's looking at you, and I could see something over there that's really really interesting that. This camera will not pick up. I never thought about that before. Did you ever, you ever like, give, you ever get the feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to turn my body? <laughs> like, no, because usually in circumstances <laughs> where um, I'm more concerned about interacting with this stuff and protecting people or myself, not what this camera right, is, right. and that's why you have to be see, concerned with the with with what you're doing. Yep, yeah, and, and you'll see on online. Go go search, and you'll see. Oh yeah, why, I've noticed that front, where it's like you can see, hear things happening and stuff but you're getting this view and you're like wow i know there's a lot of stuff going on over here yep but you can't see it It, it's a it's a very small sliver of the totality of what's occurring Mm -hmm. um but then to go back to um another very positive thing about the cameras is also for the public for that 0.1 percent or 0.01 percent um of the time where maybe officers would intentionally do something that they shouldn't be doing, knowing that this camera is on, will keep them from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe having this camera on them will cause them to explain things in a different way or mm-hmm. take a little bit more time knowing that this camera can be reviewed um, by administration or supervisors or themselves. The most powerful tool I've ever realized is to go back and randomly watch my videos mm-hmm. and see how I talk to someone. Man, I really was short. I was cutting them off. I was Hmm. a little rude. I could have explained that a little bit more. Hmm. And that's self-evaluation. Oh, yeah. I need to be more aware of that. That's so much more powerful, though, for for improvement. Tremendous tool. To see it for yourself and to kind of realize, wow, yeah, yeah, I could have done that better. If you're truly interested in doing the best job that you can possibly do, is it more effective to me, for me, as your supervisor, to come to you and go, Tim, you really need to improve... Your handwriting, right? And so I can and I can go. Person. I can go. Well, in my at least in my mind, I can go. That's his perception. Yep. <laughs> but if, <laughs> but if I see yourself, it and you I go, go oh, whose handwriting is this junky note that I can't even shoot. read? And you realize you wrote that a week ago. <laughs> right. I need to improve my handwriting. Right. 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 I've seen that be a tremendous value of those cameras. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of very very positive things that come come from them. There are some things that were were never anticipated. How long do you keep that video? What's an appropriate time to keep that video? Mm. Is that video that I record just my video? Or can the public at any time access that video? Mm. I think we've seen some legislation recently come down that addresses that exact issue. Mm. Um, Is that then held on a public server that anybody has access to? 
anybody at all that could see what police officers say or do to people in some of the most intimate private times in their lives? Although, yes, I am a public servant, but when I enter into somebody else's home, is that a public document? Mm. It could be requested through a public records Sometimes they can. But when I enter somebody's private home, is that then public record? What happens when I walk into a hospital? Are there Mm -hmm. HIPAA rules that Mm -hmm. come into play? Um, what if I go into a, a counseling set? I mean, there are there are some times and places where intimate sessions, intimate um, areas where police officers enter people's private lives that I, personally I don't think that should be made public. Right. Um, but if it's in the performance of my job as a public servant with the intention to provide a service to the entire community, where do those lines start and stop? Um, so it brings up. And then how long? What if, what if I have a camera for a week while I, while I type my report? Should I watch the camera and the video of what's happening? And should I, as a police officer, write my report only what I see from that video footage mm. that will then later be played in court? But like we mentioned earlier, I'm looking this way and I see something going on over there that I type in my report. But mm. when that video is played in court, they go, That's I didn't that. see that. Yeah. That officer's not being truthful. Mm. Well, then how far do we go? Someday are we going to have a contact lens? Hmm. You know, I mean, we can get pretty geeky and techy and go, you know, does it make sense to have a contact lens that I can see through, but then also is recording what I'm seeing, exactly mm-hmm. what I'm seeing and where my eyeball is moving. <laughs> but then how do you record what I hear? Hmm. You know, you might hear something, you might hear something going on in this building right now that I'm not even aware of right. or vice versa. And if we lay a recording or we have a recording, and we later see it, we go, I didn't even notice there was a bird tripping in the background or there was a drink right. of water over here or there's a voice in the background. Or a really loud bass guitar. <laughs> or a guitarist <laughs> practicing. Yeah, maybe some people hear it, maybe some people yeah, don't. I'm hoping the mic's not picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there is a very loud bass guitar. <laughs> it is really loud. They're doing the worship service or something in Liberty Church right now. I'm not, well, I'm not sure what they're we're doing. We're in their space. I, God I bless them. Yeah. So that's... You know, those, those are interesting concepts that are all associated with the, with the cameras. Um, it's, it's a tremendous um, progression in what we do in our, in our job um, surrounding that piece of technology. Um, but same with tasers. Tasers have, they're a great, phenomenal tool. Mm. Um, in my opinion, every single police officer in this country should have. Yeah. Um, there, there are things that we can do with that taser um, that I wouldn't want pepper spray. Personally, if I was doing something where a police officer was in front of me and was choosing from their belt what force option to use against me, tase me. Please tase me. <laughs> do not hit me with that baton. That's going to hurt way longer. Oh, yeah. Please don't pepper spray me. That's going to burn my eyes and my throat and yeah. everything else for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, that taser, it's going to lock me up and allow them to control me and do what they need to do. But, is, but when it's done, no for the most part, it's done. I mean, you get a couple pricks from wherever mm-hmm. those prongs get into you, but it's Crazy. relatively minor, yeah. especially when you're comparing it with the use of a baton uh, or hands, feet, fists. I mean, whatever other options there are, Taser is a tremendous advancement. Hmm. Um, it's great. No matter what that, that what was that college guy that on the, on the meme, don't tase me, bro. Did you ever see, you ever see that video? No. Okay. Well, I don't want to get tased either. All right, I know, right? If, I to, if something has to happen, there's to a me, really it famous be a video where this guy was in a like a lecture hall or something like that, a, 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 an auditorium, and he was, you know, um, 
being really loud and disruptive to the speaker, you know, prote- protesting something. And so finally they they had the police come in and, and start to take him away. And and he started getting violent, you know, wouldn't wouldn't go with them and everything and started, you know, punching and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And and uh, finally the police officer was just like, you know, I'm taking this out. And he goes, don't tase me, bro. Don't tase me. He started all of it really started bro. started really kind of changing his uh, I'm gonna look it up. Changing his attitude. Well, <laughs> but then he did, but he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't oh. stop, you know, resisting. So the, the police officer finally tased him and uh, that was the end of that. They oh. took him out and they didn't listen to the man's request to not No, tase don't him. tase me, bro. I'm All of a sudden, I'm your I'm bro. Gonna search it. <laughs> I'm going to search. Don't tase me, bro. When we're done. Yeah, yeah, you got to check it out. It's 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 something else. Well, it's it's amazing to see that tool in, in I'll, action. I'll bet. I'll if you bet. want, I'll. Uh, if you want to. And now, is it is it true that that as part it. of training that you guys like tested yeah. this stuff on each other and stuff? I've been tased. I've been pepper You've been tased and yeah. pe- wow. Yeah. Neither one of them so, so you, are enjoyable. So, but I would take so a when you say you take the spray. taser over the pepper spray, you're you're saying that from experience, personal like, experience. Actually, oh yeah, <laughs> neither one are fun. I don't want to have to do either of them. But if I had to choose one, taser, interesting. But only if there's money involved. I do it if there was money. <laughs> you might be able to. Con- you might be able to convince me to do it if there was money thrown down. So how much? Is- That's the question. Is it fifty? How much to be tased? Hundred? How much does it take for you to for you to be like, yep, definitely, I'll I'll be I'll get tased for that. Full fledged darts out into my skin. Yeah. What what's it what what's your price? <laughs> my lowest price? Yeah. Or my highest. Your, or no, your like lowest price. No, the no the amount where if somebody said like, and you knew seriously the person was going to give you the money, what what's your lowest price? I'm just are taxes involved? It's under the table, man. So I this mean, is cash in the bank. <laughs> cash in the bank. Get tased. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Maybe hundred. I was bucks. thinking a hundo. Yeah. Might be. I, I would consider. I'll t- I'd consider it at hundred dollars. You can okay. A hundred dollars would make you go. Hmm. Maybe. It depends upon what day of the week Let's it see. was. It depends upon the surface that I would be on. Have I already gone to the bathroom? Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be embarrassing? All right, here you go. We're gonna video record this. Oh man! How much have I eaten? What have oh. I eaten recently? Just to make sure nothing comes up or comes out the way it yep. shouldn't, because I can imagine. Or the way that I haven't should, been tased. I haven't been tased, but I just can imagine that. Well, how much would it take for you? You could. I haven't been tased, so I don't really know. But I, I. I that's a good question. It's tough. I think I have a little higher price. I, I think I'd, I think I'd, it'd have to be mm-hmm. I, more like three hundred. That's the fear of the unknown. That's why. That's the fear of the unknown. If three hundred, if, if wait, wait three hundred dollars in your pocket, you would allow me to tase you. I think I would. Are you willing to sign a uh, <laughs> a release of liability to allow that to happen? It's really a good thing that only two people watch this show. <laughs> Well, I, I know where you post this video. And if anybody at the Fairfield Sassoon Unified School District would like to do a fundraiser, possibly, I wonder if we could work this out. A fundraiser for some. You know what we were talking that about? What can you do? For what can our you community? do for the community? I could get tased as a fundraiser. 
All right, so interestingly enough, we were actually just talking in Rotary Mm. today about how... Wait, wait, don't leave this yet. Are you in for this? $300. I think I am. I think I can do this. All right, all right. I can do this. And this this could be really interesting. Like, you know, this could be good on a number of different fronts. I mean... All right. Explain. Well, there's nothing like um, fear and trepidation followed by... Real visible pain. Okay. To to increase your YouTube channel hits. Oh, you want to do this here? Oh, heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> like, why would I not do oh, that? Like, man. on that would have to be on camera. Like, not right now, obviously. But we we make an appointment, we make a deal out of okay. it. You know. Let's work out the particulars here. I'm sure some lawyers will have to get involved. Maybe we'll have to work out how this is going to happen. What do you? What would the money go to? <laughs> Know. Like, well, well, we were just, you know, I was just going to say, we were talking today at, in our Rotary Club about how we're trying to get together this deal where we um, provide um, National Geographic kids um, subscriptions, which is like a year-long subscription for all of the third graders in the entire Fairfield Susan Unified School District, which is about 1,600, 15, 1,600 kids. <clears throat> um, it's a really good publication. I took a look at it today. Um, pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know if I was a third grader, I'd like to have a year of it. Um, not only is it educational, but it seemed pretty cool and interesting. And so I remember stacks of those as a kid. Yeah, they're they're really cool. And and now and this was like a kid's version that's like really really cool. Like a very, very you know pointed towards. What, what kids would be interested in. And so we're, we're looking for ways to, and people to uh, donate money to, the, to, to do this because it's going to cost about $10 per kid for a year, which is not bad. So $10 but that's, a that's kid. about $15,000 we're trying to raise. And, okay. and Rotary is going to come up with a lot of it, um, probably half of it, I think, out of Rotary funds. But the other half we've got to raise from other sources. So... I got an idea. Maybe I could do this. I've got an I idea. I could do this. I think I could do this. This is interesting. Oh, I want to see this happen. So <laughs> oh, that would be great. I think this is a good note to end the the uh, the show on for today. Right. Yeah, I'm, keep I'm that suspense that. up. Okay. We might might. Uh, gosh, people are like, why should I um, watch this show with Troy Troy Ovia? Wait to the end. And Tim Gorey. For basically two hours, we've easily Has easily, it been two hours. Oh yeah, we've easily broken the John Harris record oh, that we great. that we made last week. Sorry, John. Sorry, you know wow. you you Doctor John. You beat a you beat a pastor. I mean that's that's a pretty big deal. Like when you can beat a pastor mm-hmm. and the amount of time he can talk is that a good thing? I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's it's data that matters. Let well, me tell you. Maybe you should edit this down <laughs> where it's appropriate. Time. I don't have time for that. Well, that's <laughs> fine. Let's it go, man. Like whatever it is, it's out there. It's, it's gonna done. go. It's okay. like two hours. It's two hours. All if right. you don't want to watch it, if that you know people, if that intimidates you, two hours of your time to watch something like this, don't watch it. You're not man or woman enough to watch this. Another another challenge has been thrown down. Exactly, but. If you didn't watch it to the end, you didn't get to see the part where I promised that I would be willing to raise money by getting tased. Yes, yes. 
I can't believe you. Some people may have missed that. This is gonna be awesome. Oh, it's gonna be awesome for one of us in this room. I'm, I actually have chills right now. I'm actually kind of freaking out a little bit because I'm not gonna let you forget. I this. certainly did not get into this podcast today thinking I was gonna to agree to this. It took me two hours to <laughs> weasel that in there, but I planned that from the beginning. Oh my gosh! If you did, you are a mastermind, yeah, my friend. Awesome. I know you didn't no, plan that. That would be cool, but um, but, but right. that's why these community conversations are gonna get interesting as time goes on. It, well, you. you can't just get smaller on this stuff you got to get bigger and bigger and bigger so this i'm a little concerned this is episode number two and i've i've agreed to be taste yes. on a future episode <laughs> how many of these podcasts are you gonna do I, it's it's unknown i i'm gonna do i'm gonna, i'm i'm committing to do it once a week on tuesdays as long as it's worth doing well, I'm going to come back for the 10th episode to see what you agree to do. <laughs> okay. If this is only the second, maybe the 20th, too. What's going to happen then? Oh, well, I'm scheduled out right now, like, what, five episodes. So, <laughs> so right. I've got to find people for, but you know what? There's nothing that says I can't bring people back, right? So I could bring right. you back, and, and your episode will be the, the Tim's Getting Tased episode. I'm in. I will be here for that. This is going to be awesome. Oh, yes, I don't know if we can do it here or not, though. Like we've, room. we've this table might cause some issues, but yeah. whatever. Can I can I have can I get like bring in some pillows or a mattress or something for you me bring to in fall whatever on? you want to? <laughs> I'll even if this works out, don't even fall. You can be already laid down. Oh, dude, really? So sometimes if I mean if you get locked up and you fall, you could smash can, your nose. Yeah, that would. Be I don't bad. want that to happen. No, nobody wants that. I don't want any permanent damage. Tasing is the best way to go to avoid That's permanent damage. what I'm hearing from you. That's You've really talked to you. me into this, actually. Or I can pepper spray you. <laughs> or, ah, no, I'm going to go with you I and say tase. We can do both. You can compare. <laughs> <laughs> that works. No, I, I am not. I'm definitely not interested in spicy ice. No, thank you. All right. No, no spicy ice. We'll work on that. I, I, the tasing part is a, a more interesting thing to me anyway. I mean, it's all—it's electrical, right? It's electrical current, mm -hmm. right? And I think there's a lot of science aspect to that that I think could be interesting. We could bring in some, maybe we could have a science teacher, like be on the episode with us, and like explain, happening. yeah, the science of what's happening while I convulse. It's a long tasing, <laughs> but I'm in. <laughs> Sounds great, Tim. I can't believe you just. Uh, I can't believe you just agreed to be tased the entire episode while a teacher explains how a taser affects the body. Good for you, man. You're dedicated. <laughs> this is going to be great. Uh, With that, I think we better go. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank you, I'm Tim. completely off my game now. Thank you very much for watching. If you watch this long, you got the payoff at the end, my okay, friends. The last five you got the payoff. Great. All right. Tim, thank Until you. next time. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. Yeah.